Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, everyone, it's Reed. I want to say thank you so much for the incredible response we've had to our Take Back the Flag campaign. Please send your stories, your pictures, and your videos of you and old glory to info at lincolnproject.us. Guys, let's keep it going. It's not their flag. It's not his flag. It's our flag. It belongs to all of us, and we are going to take it back. Take back the flag. Thanks, everyone. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by David Rothkopf, CEO of the Rothkopf Group, contributing columnist at The Daily Beast, host of the Deep State Radio podcast, and a member of the Board of Contributors for USA Today. His latest book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation, is available wherever fine books are sold. David, welcome back. Pleasure to be back. So, David, I know the book came out a little while ago, but it seems like the deep state is trying to save the country again. <laughs> well, you know, I use the term deep state both with deep state radio and with the book to, you know, sort of reclaim it from the nut jobs and the loons who are trying to portray some great deep state conspiracy. And the people who I salute in the book and the people who seem to be taking it back now are people who respect their oath to the Constitution, work in the government, don't place loyalty to one man over loyalty to the country, you know, kind of old-fashioned values. And so, yeah, I would say Jack Smith fits that bill. Of course, it would make, you know, the whole right-wing world crazy if you said, oh, he's part of the deep state. They'll say that anyway. But, you know, he is the classic example of a career government employee who has dedicated his life assiduously to living to the highest standards of the Department of Justice. Right. And I think that's a good point, David, which is if you are a really incredible attorney, and when you meet one of those attorneys, you know it almost immediately, there's almost any other place a guy like Jack Smith could go and make probably seven figures a year being an incredible corporate attorney, defense attorney, anything else. He has chosen not only to work at the DOJ here, but to go overseas and work, I believe, at the International Criminal Court. So this is someone who isn't in, in it for the big bucks and the glory. You know, it sounds corny, but a lot of the people who I write about in terms of the deep state in the book are motivated by corny things. You know, they're patriotic. They want to do the right thing. They want to help people. They want to see justice done. Jack Smith, and I don't know Jack Smith, but you read his career, you read what he did in The Hague, bringing people, heads of state, to trial for atrocities that they've committed. You see what he's doing here. I loved his statement the other day. He walks into a room, there's no flash, there's no showmanship. Hi, this is a national security case. There is one standard to the law. 
everybody will be held to that standard. Thank you very much. There will be no questions. Right. And read the indictment for yourself. Well, exactly. And the indictment was beautiful. I mean, they should teach the indictment in schools, you know? It was narrative, simply structured, and, you know, to a point that I've been making over and over for the past few weeks, counts one through 31 were about mishandling of national defense information. In other words, of 37 counts, 31 are about Donald Trump is a threat to U.S. national security. And here's how. And we have it on tape. And this is why these documents are so sensitive. And this is the outrageous behavior he had. And oh, by the way, he did obstruct justice. And oh, by the way, there was a conspiracy to do that. And oh, yeah, we have all that on tape too. But the point was, this is not about bureaucracy, paper shuffling, documents. It's not like other cases you've seen. It is about why Donald Trump is a threat to U.S. national security. And to that end, remember that, let's think about this in the context of Trump's presidency and some of the people around him, that his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, the recipient of a $2 billion check from Mohammed bin Salman, decided to go to the Russian embassy to make a phone call before he even took office, right? That's one. Two, his short-lived national security advisor was working with the Turks to try and get an opponent to the regime taken on an airplane and put you know, out of Pennsylvania, out of the United States, and remanded back to Turkey without any sort of trial or any sort of due process. And that's before you know, they even really get going. And then you know, it's here, I'm going to tweet out this picture from you know, something the National Reconnaissance Office did. I'm going to tell you something in this deal with the Russians that puts all these Israeli you know, sources and methods at risk. And that's while he was president, right? And then you get afterwards, and he held on to this stuff. You know, give us a sense of, for the national security establishment, what does this kind of stuff mean? Several things. First of all, the behavior of Donald Trump running for office and saying, Russia, are you listening to me? And seeking the assistance of Russia raised a lot of red flags in a lot of people. The behavior of people around Donald Trump, like Mike Flynn, who, you know, was photographed, you know, sitting next to Putin at a party and, as you say, was playing footsie with Erdogan in a way that he shouldn't be and was trying to cut a deal with the Russian ambassador before he got sworn in. And when he was called on all this, lied to the FBI and lasted, you know, a couple of weeks as national security advisor. That stuff, you know, made senior people in the intelligence community super wary. And when he first took office, he went to the CIA and gave just an awful speech to the men and women of the intelligence community. Right. And, you know, there was something about that speech that resonates with them in a way that it doesn't resonate with Americans. Because, you know, most Americans may have seen that. And they saw him standing there in front of a CIA wall at the CIA. It seemed to have some patriotic stars in the background, right? But that wall is sacred at the CIA because each one of those stars stands for somebody who lost their life in service of the country, in the intelligence community, in the CIA. It's kind of a shrine. And he walked into this place after denigrating the IC for a long time, and he turned it into a political speech and an attack on them. Attacks, by the way, which of course continued through his 2018 appearance with Vladimir Putin, where he said, oh no, I trust Putin 
and his intelligence services more than I trust our intelligence services. Remember Jared, who you mentioned, who's got to be a genius because here's a guy who's never managed anybody's money before, and the Saudis gave him $2 billion. So they must think he's very smart. Right. And I think it was the Emiratis who bailed him out on his Park Avenue albatross. So, <laughs> Well, you know, he's, there are a lot of people who are buttering this schnook up. And the reality is, when he applied for security clearance, the response came back, no, we can't give this guy security clearance. He's not trustworthy. And Trump said, no, we're going to give it to him anyway. Same with his daughter. So, you know, he was also, from the beginning, pumping intel to people who couldn't be trusted. And later, you know, later on in his term in office, he said, you know, I don't trust these intelligence people. So I'm going to go and put my own goons into the intelligence establishment. I'm going to take Rick Grinnell, who may well have been the worst ambassador in American history, who's a thoroughly odious person, and put him in charge as acting director of national intelligence the head of the whole shebang, people like Cash Patel and others, he tried to plant in and around the intelligence community so that he could use it for his purposes. And I think, by the way, you know, we're not talking about ancient history here, right? This was three, four years ago. This should inform how we look at what happened with all this other intelligence. Donald Trump viewed the presidency as kind of an acquisition. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo. Modern management made simple. You know, it's like, oh, I've taken the White House. It's now mine. I can do with it what I want to do with it. And because I'm president, the whole government is now mine. And all this intelligence stuff, it doesn't serve a purpose for the country. It serves a purpose for him. And all he wanted to do was use the assets of the United States to enrich himself, to strengthen himself, to make himself look better, to make himself feel better about himself, to have tools to use against his enemies. And so what do you think, let's start domestically, what do you think the intelligence community, I mean, obviously during the course of his presidency, but now they see this, many of them very well might be aware that something hinky was going on because of the work they do. And they're suddenly like, wait a second, Bob in wherever, you know, we used to have a direct line to this person. And now Bob doesn't, we don't hear from Bob anymore. Right. So what kind of effect does that have on the national security of the United States? Well, I mean, it can have a severe negative effect, right? I mean, some of these documents were marked to indicate that they came from human sources that could be put at risk if the documents fell into the wrong hands. Some of these documents were marked no foreign, meaning no foreigner should see these documents. Yet Mar-a-Lago had to be one of the great intelligence targets in the United States. Because basically, people could wander in and out of there, and they knew the president was super sloppy with national security information. You recall, you know, at one point when we were in sort of a bad way with North Korea, he decided to hold 
an NSC meeting, National Security Council meeting, on the patio at Mar-a-Lago with, you know, national security documents all around him. So our intelligence assets could be put at risk. Foreign intelligence assets, those of our allies, could be put at risk. People could die. You know, one of these documents had to deal with nuclear secrets. One of these documents had to do with war plans. You know, if these things fall into the wrong hands and those people use them in a way to harm us or to harm our allies, the consequences could be catastrophic. And that's why the serious people I know in the national security community are flabbergasted, nauseated, outraged at this treatment. And it's why people like Bill Barr, who is no, you know, I mean, I was on Morning Joe this morning and he said, you know, uh, this has got to be the first time, David, that you and Bill Barr agree. <laughs> right. And it was like, that's right. It is the first time we agree. But Bill Barr comes out and says, this guy is in a heap of trouble because what he has done is, you know, it's sort of like day one, you join the government, you get a security clearance, and they sit you down and they say, these are the crown jewels. You can't take them out of here. You can't. Certain ones you have to view in a special kind of a room called a skiff. Other ones you have to keep in a safe. You can't bring them home with you. You can't talk to your wife about them. You can't talk to your husband. There are multiple levels of this kind of stuff. And you're trained to treat that as life and death matter because it's a life and death matter. But this narcissistic idiot handled this in a dangerous way just to satisfy himself. Now, I do think there's a big question here. And the big question is, why? Why would he do all of this? You know, some people are like, oh, he's just an egomaniac. He wants to show off. Okay. Is that a reason to obstruct justice in the way that you obstructed justice? To hide these documents? To shift them around? To put them on planes and move them to different places? To lie about the existence? Why do you do that? Well, that indicates some sort of malice aforethought, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it indicates that you're willing to undertake risk in order to keep them because you think they have value. And for him, everything's a transaction. So he must have thought that I'm willing to undertake this risk because it's going to produce some value to me. And now he's in the hottest water he has ever been in. This is one other thing. As we stay domestic, I want to get overseas for a second, but as we get domestic, here's the other part too, is he is playing a different game than everybody else in American politics, which is we've already seen what he was willing to do when he lost an election, the things he was willing to do and incite people to do to take no responsibility for, and then be absolved of it by his own political allies and a lot of his financial allies. Now, he is doing these things because, again, he does not believe he's accountable. What is to say, let's say for argument's sake, that his Republican quote-unquote opponents, and I'm going to put those in air quotes because until they actually oppose him, they don't get real billing. If he were somehow to lose the nomination, that he wouldn't say it was stolen from me. If he wins the nomination and he loses the presidency, which I think he would, but we should take nothing for granted, he won't say from day one as soon as he's the nominee, if I lose again, they'll steal it from me. Like We've already seen the worst of what we've ever seen, what's to say he's going to get better 
to your point, not only is, is he, he's under legal pressure, potentially financial pressure, and now political pressure. What's to say he's going to get better? That train goes in one direction. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I don't know how it all plays out. We've never seen anything like this, and we're in the very, very beginning. Let's set aside some of the civil suits and some of these things. Let's just take the fact that there are kind of four big cases that are against him. You have the Alvin Bragg case in New York. He was indicted for that. You have this case pertaining to the documents on national security issues in Mar-a-Lago. He's been indicted for that. You've got, in six weeks, Fonnie Willis likely indicting him for electoral fraud in Georgia, probably as a RICO case, probably as part of a big conspiracy. And you have Jack Smith, the guy at the center of this case, with the responsibility to investigate his behavior in and around January 6th, who could also bring an indictment there. So we're halfway through the indictment phase, and we haven't even begun the trial phase. And each one of these things is going to be a long trial lasting a year or two years. If Trump wins the election in the midst of this, of course, this will all go away in a blinking of an eye. The federal cases will in any event. State cases won't. But he will try to pardon himself. But as you say, nothing is stopping him from behaving in this kind of extraordinary, extra-political, violence-inciting way. And it has created a bizarre situation from my perspective. Because as I just said, right, Jack Smith is investigating him on January 6th. So what is his response to this trial? This one. He's saying, oh, let's do that January 6th thing to Jack Smith right now. And it's like, are you crazy? This is the guy who's investigating you for January 6th. And you want to go and incite a mob? to interfere with this? You know, don't you think that that's going to have some consequences for the other case? Because frankly, the other two cases in terms of, you know, oh yeah, this is the guy who tried to blow up American democracy might be seen as more serious from a historical perspective. So let's talk about that because we know that Mark Meadows testified before a grand jury. I'm not, you might know better. I don't know exactly which one, but also they charged Trump's body man, his valet, with the same things that they charge Trump with. So in your experience, I know I'm not going to ask you to be a lawyer. Is this the kind of thing where, like in a RICO case and a mob case, they're just trying to get as many people to flip on the boss as they can? Well, I mean, that is a common practice in conspiracy cases. And clearly this guy, Wally Nauda, who's a former Navy veteran who became Trump's valet, might be somebody they think of as doing that. Who knows how many people Fannie Willis might charge, you know, Georgia fake electors, uh, Lindsey Graham, Rudy Giuliani, Cleta Mitchell. You would hope she would charge all those people. And some of these people at a certain point are going to go, holy crap, I could go to jail. I don't want to be in jail. I was a rich person living in a nice life. And all of a sudden, they're going to go and have me take a shower with all the bad guys down right, in, in the you know, Georgia State Penitentiary. Right, in the yeah. Georgia State, you know, and they were like, oh, maybe I ought to change sides in this thing. So that could happen. We don't know. 
I think we're going to see a lot from Trump in the way of stall, 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 so that he can see if he can get to the election. But at a certain point, he's going to lose that election. You know, there are a lot of people who are out there going, oh, yeah, Donald Trump, you know, he's still got support from his core. And uh, this America's divided. Not really. Most of Americans think what he's done is really bad. Donald Trump has never been that good a politician to begin with. He lost the popular vote the first time out. He lost the popular vote and the electoral vote the second time out. He lost in his midterm elections. In the midterm elections after Biden got elected, the people he backed lost. He's been losing ground ever since. And these cases, you know, how many independents are going to go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the guy that was found guilty of having sexually assaulted somebody and, oh, putting our national security at risk and trying to undermine democracy. Yeah, as a moderate, you know, in the middle, I'm going to vote for him. No one's going to do that, right? But what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen to Donald Trump when he realizes none of this works? I mean, right now, I mean, I'm just watching the TV before I was talking to you. And, you know, Trump is just arriving as we record this at the Doral, his shitty Miami resort. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's... I have not. No, it's a bit gross. Like <laughs> like that bathroom in those pictures, you know, with the right. chandelier and the boxes. Right. All the gold and gilt and... Yeah, uh, yeah, but gross. Really, really gross. But in any event, he's arriving there and... You know, Trump wants there to be thousands of Trumpians out there, and there are tens of them. You know, just like the last time, there are tens of them. This phenomenon of Trump nation is fading into the woodwork. I just wonder how this is going to go, because a bunch of these Republican politicians who've been sort of carrying his water at a certain point are going to go, uh-oh. You know, they're going to have that Wiley Coyote moment where Wiley Coyote <laughs> sure. goes off the cliff and right. he's running, and looks down. And he looks down and he's like, oh, I'm not on the cliff anymore. The Republican Party is heading for its Wiley Coyote moment. Right. Now, look, their whole thing is, you know, managed by the Acme Corporation for sure, David. So let us zoom out of the United States and zoom around the globe to our adversaries, I'll call them. In his speech, I believe it was either in North Carolina or Georgia. Trump admitted to being on a call with Vladimir Putin and Mohammed bin Salman, where they talked about reducing the amount of oil being produced so they could jack up the price on behalf of oil companies. That was while he was in office. But now talk to us a little bit about both politically and in the terms of the indictment, how Putin looks at this, how MBS looks at this, how the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Turks, all the bad guys in the world. How do they see this? Because do they see it as, you know, somebody said to me, you know, look, Vladimir Putin might actually see the 2024 American election as an existential event for him. He's got to keep the war going that long. But if Trump loses, you know, it could be a bad Wednesday in November for him. How do you see our adversaries looking back at us? Well, let's take Vladimir Putin specifically, because I think that's the clearest case, because you're absolutely right. And I've written about this. Vladimir Putin looks at the 2024 election as the only way he's going to win in Ukraine. Either Donald Trump wins and pulls back U.S. support, and Vladimir Putin has this Hail Mary last-minute escape from the fate of having mismanaged every aspect of this war in Ukraine. 
or he's got his own problem. If Trump loses and Biden's there and the West remains unified and Ukraine continues to push forward, at some point the people of Russia are going to say, I got a problem here. So what does Putin do? Well, you know, in 2016, Putin supported Donald Trump because he wanted to shake things up in the U.S. He wanted to weaken the U.S., not necessarily because he thought Trump would win, not because he had some big vision about Ukraine, just because that's what he did. That's what he was trained to do. And he really didn't like Clinton personally. Right. But, you know, that's, it, that's what he was trained to do his whole life, right, is to mess these things up. Well, so what do you think he's going to do now? You know, is he going to go and put out fake stories about, you know, Hunter Biden and Burisma or disinformation about, I don't know, Hillary Clinton or some other kind of crazy nonsense? Of course he is. And so I think, you know, and all the intelligence people I've spoken to have said, look, you've got to expect more and more intense Russian interference in the 2024 election than we saw even in 2020 or 2016. You know, Mohammed bin Salman and some of these others, they have less influence over how this is going to go. But all of them, they know that if Trump loses, their position of influence is going to weaken substantially. So now let's bring it all together here as we close up. So how does official Washington handle this, the Trump piece of this, and it's ongoing? Because it's really all brought together, right? We have the crossing of the streams of, of every last thing of this. You've got Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans doing everything they can to twist themselves into knots to prove that you know Trump is still the leader. You've got Mitch McConnell and his lieutenants who are intentionally silent on this. You've got the White House, obviously, I think, and the president doing the right thing, which is this is the Justice Department. Talk to them. But how do you see it as official Washington comes to grips with yet another thing none of us have ever seen? Well, it's hard to anticipate. We had the spectacle today of Kevin McCarthy being asked about how he felt about top secret documents being kept in a bathroom. And Kevin McCarthy came up with the most Kevin McCarthy-esque response you can imagine by saying, well, you know, bathrooms have locks too. Not really thinking that bathrooms tend to get locked from the inside, or, you know, that those are easily defeated. But it, it was a pretty stupid response. You know, I think the smart money in Washington is going to let the process take care of itself. And uh, that's what Merrick Garland will do. That's what Jack Smith will do. That's what Joe Biden will do. That's what I think the Democrats will do. There will be some Republicans howling. But as we've seen in the Senate, as you mentioned, it's not Mitch McConnell or John Thune or any of the leaders on the Republican side. It's Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, the, you know, the ideological crazies, Jim Jordan on the other side, Marjorie Taylor Greene. But those are the people who are going to hit the Wiley Coyote moment the first. You know, they're the ones who are so far out there. And I think we have to, by the way, recognize why that's true. If you built your political brand, on association with Donald Trump. And somehow the legal judgment comes down that Donald Trump was actually what he, we thought he was, which is a crook, a con man, a threat to national security, a rapist, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's their identity. And so that's why you've got, you know, Lindsey Graham sort of desperately, you know, trying to say, well, this is unfair. And it's like, well, hey, Lindsay, you made your bed. Guess what? Time's coming. Right. 
as I've said, and the the viewers and the listeners are probably sick of me saying this. I mean, David, they made a deal with the devil, and ultimately the devil wants his due. And he's going to get it. You know, it's this crazy time to throw around wild-eyed optimism. <laughs> and I often expect it from you, David. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My dad, from like when I was six years old, called me Eeyore. And that was my nickname growing up because I was always so bleak. But I got to tell you, I don't know if he's going to be convicted in every case, but he's going to be convicted in some of the cases. I don't know if he's going to go to jail, but his reputation is going to be damaged. I don't know if his base is going to abandon him, but the independents that were thinking about him are going to abandon him. And I think in 2024, you're going to see the Democrats win with the biggest margins that they've won with in a long time. And that's not just speculation. If you look at some of the interim results or results in elections where far-right Trumpist candidates were, Democrats were winning with 55, 60% of the vote. It yeah, was not in places close. like the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, the Jacksonville mayor's race, and David, the mayor's race in Colorado. Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs, yes. Absolutely right. And it's not all going to be about Trump because 70% of Americans feel the Republicans are wrong on abortion. And 70% of Americans feel the Republicans are wrong on guns. And 70% of Americans feel the Republicans are wrong on the environment. And 70% of the Americans feel the Republicans are wrong on health care. The majority of the United States, Democrats, independents, and some Republicans, are in a completely different place from MAGA. Well, and again, that's why you see whether or not it's Fox News, OAN, Trump himself, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they must create that alternate universe for their people because they know, like we saw last summer, David, with the January 6th hearings, right? When Fox said they weren't going to cover them, and then all of a sudden millions of people tuned in, that if they were going to allow their people to be exposed to reality, they wanted it through their filter. But, you know, as we said, like reality catches up with this stuff, right? And there's only so much of it that you can pretend like just doesn't exist. But you know what? You go outside, the sky's blue, sun comes up in the east, goes back down in the west, right? There's some things that are fundamental to being alive. And Donald Trump being a lying scumbag who should go to prison is, I think, now objective. <laughs> it, is, it is objective. It is objective. And the reality is this. The kryptonite of the MAGA movement is truth. If you challenge their lies, if you tell the truth, if you provide facts, that will destroy them. You know, you can think back and I think back on the little pep rally that CNN ran Chris Licht's last stand when they had Donald Trump on. And what a last stand it was, huh? Yeah, well, it was bad for Chris Licht. And people, some people gave Caitlin Collins a hard time. I personally thought she was trying to do her best in a very difficult situation. But there was an exchange with Caitlin Collins during this thing where Trump goes, well, the uh, Presidential Records Act give me the right to do all this stuff. And she said, no, Mr. President, it doesn't. And he said, yes, it does. And she said, no, it doesn't. I read the Presidential Records Act. And, you know, did that persuade all the MAGAs? No. But each time he does that, a little busload of independents move to the other side of the line. Well, and I also think in retrospect, the CNN town hall that was, as you said, the reason ultimately Lick lost his job, I think was the first wake up call of the 2024 campaign. To your point, David, for a lot of Americans was like, oh, geez, do I really want this back again? 
Well, now you've got to another part of this thing. And this is the part that would get Trump the most. If facts are the kryptonite of the MAGA movement, being boring is the kryptonite of Donald Trump. You know, if people start to think that Donald Trump is a tired, old, boring loser, this is his worst nightmare. And frankly, I think we're there. I think a lot of Americans are like, oh, geez, isn't there another way to do this? You know, and for a while there, they thought, well, we could have Ron DeSantis. He could give us all the MAGA stuff, but it won't be with all the Trump stuff. The problem was Ron DeSantis was worse in some respects, and he was not the right choice. But my guess, and I am in a tiny, tiny group. And by the way, I just want all the people who listen to you to know, I am terrible at political prognostication. <laughs> the first vote I ever cast was for John Anderson. Remember the great John Anderson campaign? Sure, of course. Yeah. I was the policy director of the Evan Bayh for presidency campaign. It was another huge success. I'm terrible at this. But my instinct tells me, I think Trump will not be the candidate because I think these trials will get the best of him. I think DeSantis will not be the candidate because he's awful. And so I think it is going to be one of these other Republicans who we don't see coming right now, who is going to step up. And by the way, just as a footnote, on Thursday of this week at the Reagan Library, the mayor of Miami is going to announce that he's running, a guy named Francisco Suarez. I saw this guy up close at somebody's house a few weeks ago. And I'm like, I'm not saying he's going to win, but that's the formula. He is a dyed-in-the-wool, right-wing Republican, but he doesn't have the baggage. And somebody, you know, Glenn Youngkin is trying to sell himself that way. Nikki Haley is trying to sell herself that way. Somebody is going to come along, and I think it's going to be one of those people who are going to end up running. Well, listen, to your point, if there's anything I know, it's that I never know anything. Look, I thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win 340 electoral votes, so what do I know? But I will say this, is that None of us have any idea. If we believe that life is not a straight line trajectory, politics certainly isn't either. And politics in this time, as Jeff Charlotte calls in the Trumpocene era of American politics, David, very hard to see what's coming next because every day there's something that used to be a scandal or headline news for weeks or months on end. And now we get them every week. You know, and I think the point there is you may not know what's going to happen next. I may not know what's going to happen next. But let's at least have the humility to understand we don't know what's going to happen next. And all these people are saying, oh, Trump's going to be the candidate. I'm one of them. But there are all these trials ahead of us. There's all this uncharted waters ahead of us. Right. And I think we need to know that between now and November 2024 is going to be a period unlike any other we've seen in American political history. And so it's hard to predict. Well, I will 100% agree with you on that. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, David. Tell us where we can find you online, where we can find Deep State Radio. Go to the DSRnetwork.com. That's all of our shows. We've got Deep State Radio four days a week now. It's going to be five days a week soon. We've got a bunch of other podcasts. We've got, I think, nine podcasts plus a daily. And I'm in the Daily Beast a couple of times a week. And I'm Twittering away until Elon fucks that up. Right. Which he will sooner than later. All right. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. David Rothkopf, thanks for joining me.
thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.